revisit it again, um, simply because I think it's so important, and I've and I've got no problem repeating important things. And one of the one of the um, poor understandings of sermon culture sometimes is we've said it, therefore we don't need to say it again. Um, but the whole point is not to understand things, it's but to live them out. And because of that, we can never repeat important things enough. Because unless you're living it out perfectly every day, why we need to keep talking about it? Um, so. Uh, so we're going to be talking about some principles, and the reason I'm also excited is that I really see these principles played out in our community. I really do see people living them out, unknowingly and knowingly. Um, you know, and, and, and it's about having a fresh look at what it means to share our faith, but making sure that we don't stray too far from the way Jesus told us to do it. That, you know, there's lots of ideas and principles out there, but Jesus had these really simple principles he gave to his disciples. And, and, if, and I can show you that they continued to use those principles in Acts when they were reaching people as well. And, and, and living out of them is actually empowers us to share our faith. Um, and, um, but, you know, we start with this beautiful gospel, don't we? We start with this beautiful gospel that God um, has saved us in a magnificent way. We know in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, it tells that we are made in God's image as people. We are made in God's image. And one of the, way, one of the key ways to understand that term is that human beings were meant to be these things that image God into the world. And in other words, that David and I, in our, in our perfect state, we are meant to image God's justice into the world, image God's grace into the world, image God's love into the world. People will know what God is like through us when we are being human beings as we were designed to be. That, that, you know, that, that people will know God's forgiveness um, through human beings. People, the, the world will, these, these things will go through humans into the world. Human beings are made in the image of God. We can image God's character into the world. Um, but the, the thing is through that arrangement is that for that arrangement to work, there needs to be trust between humans and God. And this trust is that if we're the ones imaging his character into the world, who defines good and evil? God. It doesn't work if we define good and evil. We image him into the world. We don't image ourselves. We, we, we're meant to be these conduits of God into the world. And so for that to work, we need to define good and evil. And one of the most basic ways you can understand the decision of Adam and Eve, it's this. They chose to define good and evil for themselves. They chose to do what was right in their own eyes. And they took what was right in their own eyes. And that's when things fell apart. Because now the trust is broken. Our relationship is cut because that whole arrangement works because we trust him to define good and evil. We don't, we don't believe he's holding out on us. We believe his ways are the best ways. And the gospel is that we, we can't get back to that. We are not capable in our sinful nature of getting back to that simple trust, fully trusting him to define good and evil. And so it's like us being at the bottom of a mountain and God is at the top. And the beautiful message, and this is what does make Christianity unique, um, is that God came down the mountain to be with us. So there was distance, and God came down the mountain. If you ever want a key way to understand what's different about the Christian faith to other faiths, 
It's that's one of the key differences. Is that it's not we're not one of those who would sit with other religions and say, oh yeah, we're all basically the same. We're all trying to climb the mountain and get to God. No, we believe. Look, we're at the bottom of the mountain and we have no way to the top. So God came down to us. That's the message of Christianity. And so when Jesus came, it was God coming down the mountain to live with us, to be with us, to die in our place, to show us how to live. But it wasn't just this fact that he came down the mountain to die for us and and, and separate that distance. I mean, sorry, and, and close up that distance. He also said, because he said, you can yoke yourself to me, you can follow me, I am with you. In other words, God came down the mountain and he said, look, if you want, you can walk with me back up the mountain. I will walk with you back up the mountain. If you believe in me and and let me receive and let me forgive your sins and follow me, we can do this together. And he gave us his spirit. And so you can see there's this wonderful challenge in what Jesus did, because who wouldn't want to turn and follow Jesus back up the mountain? But, and this is where we get back to Adam and Eve, to do that, you've got to do one really hard thing. You have to let God be the judge again. You have to let God be the king again. You have to let God define good and evil again, and then you can walk back up the mountain. You know, not not perfectly. No, 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 we still need his forgiveness. We still lean on him and yoke ourselves to him. But, gee, God, we, we serve a wonderful God who has come to be with us and promises to lead us. And we know from the truth, as evangelicals, Baptists, surely we know this more, so deeply that Jesus wanted his followers to extend that invitation to the world. We know that, don't we? Jesus wanted his followers to extend that invitation to others. So people, while Jesus was on earth, has already started following him, and then he dies for us, and then he, before he goes to heaven, he's like, all right, I need you guys to keep inviting people to follow me. And we know the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. You know, I have been given, this is Jesus speaking, not me. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when we read Acts 1.8, we see that Jesus was really confident this would happen. This is like, you know, when he, when he says, look, before they're, wait, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, you know, and he tells them to wait on the Holy Spirit, and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, this invitation, I guarantee you guys, it's going to go viral. It will. He's, got, he's so confident. Jesus is just absolutely so confident. And, and when you read the book of Acts, his confidence was justified. People came to Jesus everywhere. You know? And lots of people rejected him. Lots of people accepted him. But what about now? Is his confidence continues to be justified now in the world? And the simple answer is, it depends where you look. If, you're, if you have a super narrow focus to the West is the world and the first world is the world, and the Western church is the church, then you might be a bit discouraged, because it's a bit hard in that. But can I just assure you that if we believe the world involves all the people in the world, in all places in the world, we have plenty of... Jesus' confidence is completely justified still. Could I just tell you, like in China... Okay, it's estimated there'll be more Christians in China than in the Western world combined within a generation, by the way. Um, and that's in a place where it's persecuted. But in China, it's estimated around 3 million Christians in 1982. 2019, 80 million. 
I don't know who's, who's good at maths. Someone can do some percentages there. Um, this source, um, EA UK, from this Bishop F guy, 2018. Look, in the 1900s, it was predicted 50,000 Christians in Latin America. Now there are all now more than 100 million. Easy. 1900s, 5.4 million Christians in Sub-Saharan Africa, and there's now 500 million. This is an awesome stat. In 1960, guess how many Christians were in Nepal? 30. 1.4 million, at least. That's big. That's a big jump. And this is despite so many of the places I've mentioned, Christianity is illegal. Christianity is like held down. What's going on? This is cool. So um, in 1979, there were about 500 known Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. 500. Okay, in 2005, it was like estimated there were now 40,000 about ethnic Iranian Christians. And that number grew to about 175,000 in 2010. And today, you know, like they, they estimated, I don't know exactly when this particular source was, but from 300,000 up to a million. But they say that um, if you look, if you want to put that in perspective, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 1300 years. So more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 1300 years. So when Jesus said, look, when I put my spirit in the world, trust me, it'll go viral. If you just focus on, well, just our little context, you might go, well, Jesus, were you sure about that? But if you have a world context and listen to the poor church out there and what they're doing and what's going on, I think Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus was telling the truth. And it's not out of line what Jesus says. He says the harvest is plentiful. He says he will build his church in Matthew, doesn't he? And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But it can feel a little hard in Australia because Australia's uh, the numbers aren't that. In fact, the numbers sort of suggest we're in our seventh decade of decline in Australia. It's a bit harder here. Sharing faith is a not in, a, in truth, truth be told, if I think if a lot of Christians were honest, I think it's a discouraging topic, sharing faith for a lot of people. So, but I believe if we take a fresh look at how Jesus wanted his disciples to go about it, we can be encouraged and empowered. We can be absolutely be encouraged and empowered. Um, and so when we look at these principles, we have three big assumptions that Jesus is building his church. So God is at work in people's hearts and minds. The harvest is plentiful. There are people in Australia today who are soft to God. We are going to presume it, because I believe Jesus invites us to presume it. And the second one is the way Jesus made disciples is doable and reproducible, because that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, do this, this way. Follow me. He's, a, he's actually an action um, leader who says, here, do it this way. And he gave his disciples really clear ways. So the way Jesus made disciples is simple and reproducible. And the third one is so important because we can lose this in the highly institutionalized church of the West. God's mission was always meant to be in the hands of ordinary people, always. Ordinary people like you and me. Acts 4.13 is one of the best verses ever. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. 
And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know the Greek word for that unschooled ordinary rendered is idiotai. So you could read this and say, when they saw these idiots, they could not believe how boldly they were talking. They were just so astonished, but they took note. Look at that last line. They took note. These men have been with Jesus. What's going on here? It's such a good verse, isn't it? And, and so on, on the back of those three principles, and, and we'll see where these principles come from in Scripture, but I believe these three steps really are helpful. I see people apply them in our community. I think they apply across a whole bunch of situations. Is the three steps of this. We, we as Christians, we love and serve everyone, and that's a posture statement. We, we're just people of love, people who are kind, people who are gracious, people who are giving. We, and from that foundation, we identify and invest in people of peace. And then we provide those people an opportunity to respond to God, or we pray about it. So we love and serve everyone, we invest in people of peace, and we provide them with an opportunity to respond to God. Look, Luke 10, and this is, this is, and Luke, Acts actually has some points where it points back to this. So we know the, the, the disciples in Acts continue to do things this way. Luke 10 is super instructive. So this is when he sends out the 72 um, to announce the kingdom, invite people to follow Jesus as their king. So Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 11 says this, if you'd like to read along. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's house, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. This is really crucial. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality. That's, that's actually really crucial. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus sends out his disciples. And Jesus points out something, and I, and I mean this in the most obvious way, it is not rocket science. Jesus says something we already know. He says, some people will welcome you and some people won't. Some people will like you and some people won't. Some people will want to serve you and some people won't want to go near you. In this column, they like you, they serve you, they welcome you. In this column, they are weirded out by you, they want you to go away. Jesus says, I would rather you invest in column A. The people who like you, who listen to you, are open to you, who are wanting to serve you. I'd rather you invest there. And, um, and so you can almost see it now. So as how this applies to us, as you wear your faith on your sleeve, as you love and serve everybody, how do you recognise where God is already at work? Well, how do people respond to your faith? Who are the people who lean in? Who are the people who listen more? Who are the people who listen less? 
Who are the people who are more open to your friendship? Who are the people who, when they find out that you love Jesus, seem to want to do more for you? Seem to want to show favour towards you? Because I guarantee, you guys know this, the opposite happens with some people. They find out you love Jesus and they're like, hmm, like, yeah, we'll be friends, but like, I don't really want your opinion on anything and I don't want to do anything for you. Like, it's alright. How's that for discernment? Discernment isn't always discern. Where should I, should I go? I feel warmth over here. I should go over here. Jesus says, the people who welcome you, be welcomed by them. Invest there. Invest there. Matthew 10.40 says this, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Favour towards the people of God can be equated with favour towards God himself. An openness to God himself. Who are the people who like you, listen to you, and serve you? Who are the people of peace in your life that God is calling you to invest in? My dad goes for walks with Kyle's dad. You know, he's willing to walk with dad and... I don't... What's, it's getting very... Hold on. Has that been happening the whole time? No. Okay. Is that a bit better? Yeah, it's better. All right. He goes for walks with Ross and they're both robust men who like to share opinions and talk to each other and, and Ross, is, Ross is welcoming of that to Dad. Dad. Dad's not banging, not dragging Ross out of the house and saying, you walk with me. He wants to walk with him. Yeah, non-Christian, Dad's walking with him, sharing his faith. It's, it's, it's a sense of, of course that's where Dad should invest. Esther and I on our street, you know, our neighbour Joy, lovely old Irish lady, we're the only people on the street she talks to. We're, she, she wants to help us take out our bins when we go on holidays, you know, and things like that. Now, one of the worst things I could do, and I would be disobeying Jesus if I did this, if I said, oh, no, it's all right, well, we'll call one of our friends to take our bins out, as if that would be a kind thing to do. Here she is, she knows us, she wants to serve us. We're the only people in the street, she has a relationship, it seems. Yeah, we should let her take out our bins and find an opportunity to serve her. You know, um, we have other neighbours who are friendly, but they're just not as... They're just a bit more closed, a bit more distant. So where where would Jesus want me to invest in that scenario? Um, you know, tomorrow when, when Hannah is going around inviting people to kids' club, this is actually and, and when they start the kids' club, these principles apply. Like it's not a, it's not about who you love and serve. We're not talking about who is worthy of love. We're talking about where you invest your story, where you invest your particular focus. Because you're limited beings. So Jesus has given these nice, clear um, guidelines. And it's a different message, isn't it? It's not saying, look, there are people out there who hate God. Go out there and fight them and change their mind. Like, that's not the message Jesus gave them. He said, the people who are like that, go to the next door. Go to the next town. He doesn't say, no, no, I have something to say. Let me rip your door open. No, he doesn't say that. He actually, and, and you know what? This is not to speak against, and, and I mean this. I believe, you know, so that you, you're street preacher, right? You're a confrontational street preacher. I actually want to say from here, there are people in this world gifted for that. There really are. It is not the majority who are gifted for that. And that's okay. Because what Jesus gave us were principles I believe anyone can follow. Anyone can follow. Um, 
And so when you and when you've done that, you love and serve everyone, and you feel like, oh, there's some people of peace here, people who are welcoming me, people who are favourable towards me, then. They're the people you pray about. Well, how can I give this person an opportunity to respond to God? They're the people that we go, well, I might take the risk of asking them some questions about what they think about things. I might particularly pray about what opportunity I can give them to respond to God. Um, And, you know, that can be... That can be taking them through a course, obviously, like Alpha or Christianity Explained. That can just be starting to include them in Christian community and asking them questions as they come across things. That can be inviting them to church. That can be just sharing your story, your testimony with them of why you come to love Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, and, and something that I've really promoted and some people have taken on is inviting people to read the Bible with you is a really simple way forward from that starting point as well. And we have people who've done that in this church. But can I just, like, just to show you, this has happened in our church unknowingly and knowingly. So, absolutely, this process was followed when Colin's family led Joel to the Lord. Absolutely. They've got a neighbour, you know, with this, with this bit of a troubled child, and he likes their family. He, in fact, he loves calling Colin his like a dad, you know, to him. So the Japans do what Jesus says, whether they knew it or not, and they invest with the kid who wants to be with them. And they, and they took him on board and they took him to church. Joel now is an awesome Christian man with his own child and wife up in Queensland. But Colin, if there was a kid across the road who wanted nothing to do with the Japans and hated them and thought they were weird, Colin invested in the kid that wanted to be with their family and, and liked them and was favourable towards them and gave him an opportunity to respond to God. Um, you know, Shara, um, she had a friend Taylor, remember? Like, I don't know if you remember the video testimony, but she, she reached out to Taylor, her friend, who was favourable towards her and liked her, shared her faith with her. It's the same process. David, is you've got that guy on the street? It hasn't kicked into gear reading the Bible yet, but you invited him, right? And he said yes. Yeah, but he was riding the bikes with David, you know, and and David was investing in him, and so David decided to take that risk. But David didn't do that with the other person on the street who just looks at him weird and doesn't interact with him, whoever that may be. I don't know. But he didn't do that. When people in our community apply these principles, John over there is reading the Bible with his mate Widgie. It halts at different times and goes at different times. But it was an obvious person to ask for Johnny in his life, of all his different mates. I remember you asked a couple of other mates cold to read the Bible, and they said no. Um, But Widgie just seemed like a real, at the time, was that right? Yeah, it was a real natural time to ask him. It was favourable between them. And Widgie's faith really, um, you know, um, it's grown in that space and it continues to be a journey, an up-and-down journey, as it always is. Um, But this is the thing, like, we have to believe what the Bible says. We have to believe that in our book clubs, in our streets, that there are people soft towards God. And Jesus gave his disciples clues to look for. These are the people worth investing in. You know, I mean, I don't know exactly the narrative, but it was someone took me through it. Paul applies this narrative when he comes to a town, he walks through, no one really welcomes him, he walks back out of the town, and there's that, um, the lady who works with Purple Cloth. Uh, what's, do you know her name? Lydia? Lydia? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul walked through town, no one welcomed him, came back out of town. Oh, here's a lady who's interested in what I'm saying, welcomes me. 
and he goes into a home, let invests there, and the gospel spreads out from there. Paul, Paul wasn't moving on from these principles. Paul did them, absolutely. And um, just to remind you, and this is something, do I, I do believe if you've got a person of peace in your life and you're praying for them, I really do believe one of the best things you can do in, uh, is ask them if they'd want to read the Bible with you. Um, not in an expert way, not in a way that has all the answers, but just read it with them and ask them what they think. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a little process I'll, I'll put up online again to follow. But the reason this is, is such a good thing is because when you read the Bible with someone, you actually get to test out if they are a person of peace because they start reading things Jesus said and you just get to see how they respond to that. So before they even understand the whole gospel, so this is why it was so fruitful with me and Ben Retray, like I knew it was fruitful because the moment he came across Jesus saying things, he started to respond to them in his life, even before he understood fully who Jesus was. Now I've read the Bible with um, another guy where it went nowhere. Like he was just didn't go anywhere. It was just... He just kept getting distracted by other things, and, and that's okay. But this isn't about forcing anyone to, to there. It's about cooperating with the people that are walking towards God, helping them get there. Um, I've got another mate, Jared, who he's open, but it's not like Ben. He's not responding yet. He's just asking questions, but he wants to keep reading the Bible. So we just keep reading the Bible. That's what we're doing right now. Um, but asking to read the Bible with someone and just asking them questions as they go, and if they ask a question you don't know, you just go to some go to a friend together and just talk about it with them. But it's low risk, it's no pressure, and you get to see their posture before God. And when it comes to risk, you know, I think this is the thing. Because in the Christian church in Australia, sharing faith is a bit of a discar like you know, we're a bit of discouraged. We 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 really get pent up with fear, don't we? With stuff. And but can I just say the first step is the hardest. Like if if you ask the friend to read the Bible with you, let's say one of you at your workplace you said, I think this person is favourable to the ones we ask them, and they say yes. And you're terrified. And so you start you call me and say, Nate, I ask this friend to read the Bible and say yes, our first one is on Tuesday. Oh, what awesome. Let's pray. Let's talk about that first session, if the first one sucks, let's pray and think about how the next one might, like, get on the road with the person, like, you know, like, take a risk, um, because if they're a person of peace, and this is the beauty of it, if they're a person of peace, it's not going to go down badly anyway, that's the thing, like, if you ask someone who is favourable towards you and they're not ready to read the Bible, they're not, what are the chances of them going, and we are not friends anymore? Like, that's just not going to happen. I can't see it happening if they're a person of peace. So, can I just encourage you guys? God is at work in the world. The way Jesus made disciples is simple and reproducible, and God's mission was always meant to be in the hands of ordinary people. So love and serve everyone. Invest in the people of peace in your life and pray for them and see if you can give them an opportunity to respond to God. I think these principles anyone can take on board and pray through. Even through a program sense. So we have um, Adam and Michelle and John are currently trained in the coach program. Um, they're yet to be matched up with someone. But others can also do this program where if you did the training, um, you would be matched up as someone in the church with someone in the community who's struggling and you would coach them towards a goal. But I'm, I, I guarantee you, these principles, you use them to discern whether the person's favourable towards God in that process. 
So if John's meeting with a tough kid from Mount Druitt, and when he mentions he's a Christian, the kid gets more curious, he should take a note of that. If, he, if, if, if when, John, when he finds out John's a Christian, he gets less curious, he should take note of that. Like, where, where is, which doors are opening, which doors are closing? Right? It's just about, it's giving you a lens to look at your world. I have mates who, because I'm a Christian, they're interested in my opinion less. I have mates, because I'm a Christian, they're interested in my opinion more. Like, use these dividers to help figure out where Jesus is asking you to invest. And it's not about judging, because remember Greg? Greg and Jess? Greg became a Christian, yeah? Now, at one point in Greg's journey, he was not a person of peace. He looked down on Christians. But later on in his journey, he was one and was open. So it's not about dumping people in categories and saying, well, we'll never reach out to them. It's like, right now, who are the people welcoming to you? Anyway, I'm going to put up these principles again online so you can pray over them and have a think through your world. Um, but just as we were listening to Colin, you know, Follow the Saviour, such a good song. In St. Clair, in St. Mary's, wherever we are in Tregear, there are people soft towards God. The harvest is there. And God, Jesus has given us simple ways to start going about reaching them. So I just want you to hope that you prayerfully think of your world. And um, if you have any more questions or want to pray through any people on your heart, um, the elders, but anyone in this church would love to pray with you about that as well. Um, Let me just pray and then we'll sing one more song. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here. We thank you that we are, we are given the privilege of imaging your character into the world, your love, your, your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, may we be believers who do that and not just image your love and forgiveness, but also our faith into the world and share it with others. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you would just make us sensitive to the places of peace, the people of peace in our lives. And just, um, yeah, give us the courage to think about what it would mean to give those people an opportunity to respond to you, whether it's inviting them to read the Bible together or inviting them to, um, we're doing the Responding to Jesus course later this term um, on our Sundays. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would just draw our hearts and minds to people of peace in our lives and give us the courage to invest there and give them an opportunity to know the great Saviour, the great Saviour who offers... To, um, to forgive us and, um, yeah, to, who invites us to yoke ourselves to him and give us his strength and his peace and his heart. Lord, we, we really want others to know you. And we ask that you would use us um, to, to just help bring others to, into your kingdom. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we'll sing one more song. Uh,